You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Today on our show, I'm talking with James Svetik. Really excited. We haven't really had a guest come on and really pitch the idea of short-term rentals to us on the show. So we put James in the hot seat today. He is the author of Airbnb for Dummies. He's also the founder of bnbmastery.com and an overall Airbnb expert. Today, we talked about what COVID has done to the Airbnb and short-term rental market and how he's been able to, with his clients, manage some of the volatility, as well as why he tends to think Airbnb or short-term rentals is actually a safer investment than long-term rentals today. These are some of the things we discussed. He also shared some of the tools and systems that he uses in order to manage a successful business. We had a very good chat. I learned a ton of stuff as someone who doesn't do too much Airbnb myself. I know I learned some stuff. I'm sure you will today. If you guys do, please leave a comment. Any questions you have down below for James. Enjoy the show on this computer. Good. And then we can jump right into it. You good to go? Good to go. All right. Okay, cool. James, thanks for joining us on the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I am so glad to have you on the show. We've had a lot of investors come on, but you are the first Airbnb or short-term rental dude we've had come on. So I'm really excited to hear a little bit about uh, your experience in real estate and why Airbnb. I want you to convince me today on why I should drop what I'm doing and run towards a short-term rental. But before we get started, maybe tell me a little bit about your story, your your background, and what got you into uh, doing Airbnb. For sure. Yeah. So I guess my background, uh, kind of going back to the beginning of my, my start with short-term rentals and Airbnb is that I actually started about four or five years ago, um, managing other people's properties in downtown Toronto on short-term rental. Um, so worked mainly with a group of real estate investors, uh, managing their properties that they'd taken. Some of them had taken them from long-term rental and transitioned them into short-term rentals. And then some of them had set them up and bought them specifically for the purpose of short-term renting. Um, So that's kind of where I got my feet wet uh, with Airbnb and got my first experience. Before that, I had stayed in a couple of Airbnbs, but never actually done any hosting. Um, And then now over the years, I've gotten a lot further into it, where now I coach uh, a whole bunch of students all throughout the world on how to manage other people's properties on Airbnb. Um, I work with hosts all around the world to help them improve their listings performance and kind of streamline their operations. Um, And I started investing in uh, in a short-term rental up in, uh, in Kawartha. Uh, and working with uh, with a small group of investors um, to just kind of help them strategically get into short-term rentals. And I've now written the book, Airbnb for Dummies, and kind of gotten more into the on- online space. So now my whole life is kind of revolving around Airbnb, <laughs> but that's sort of the, the backstory there. So I can tell you, it sounds like you, the way you describe it, you've fallen into Airbnb, but I know there's a reason you're choosing short-term rental. I'm curious, why, why is that your preferred method of investing? There's so many options. I'm curious why this is your favorite. Yeah, from an investing perspective, um, well, uh, I'd be lying if I said if I said that it wasn't mainly because it's what I know. Like I just have so much experience in it at this point that that's a big driver for me. But the in contrast to a long term rental, um, this is sort of uh, contrary to what a lot of the way a lot of people think. But I find it gives me a lot more control over the investment. 
I know a lot of people are scared with, uh, with short-term rentals that you're going to have all kinds of issues. You're going to have parties and that it's unpredictable income, things like that. And I've, I've realized over the years of working with investors and kind of working with these properties that it actually can be really, really predictable how much money the property is going to bring in if you know what you're doing. Um, and I really love the idea of not having, uh, having an eviction freeze happening on your property and having it not bring in any money for a long period of time, like a lot of landlords are going through right now. Um, and just ultimately having the control to do what I want with the property at any time. Um, and for me, a big component as well is that it's a really cool lifestyle asset because buying the property up in the courses, it's a beautiful property. Um, I love to be able to go up there a couple of weeks a year and actually use it as a cottage, but at the same time, have it generate a really strong ROI. Um, so there's a number of different reasons for why I prefer short-term rental to long-term as an investment. Uh, but those are the main ones. So I do want to dig into the market right now, the evictions, but I'm curious, as we're, you just mentioned the Kawartha property. So tell me why the Kawarthas, and I guess in general, like how do you search for properties and, and, and or how do your investors that you've assisted determine what, what's a good Airbnb or short-term rental? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple different factors that you want to look at. Um, the, the main thing is you want to have, it just depends on your risk profile, um, ultimately how much of a backup plan you want, but you want to have some sort of a backup plan. So I know that for um, investors that are investing in an area like downtown Toronto, um, one of the things I always remind people, if you're investing in that type of area where regulations can change and they're liable to change, um, there's a lot of different factors that you kind of have to consider as far as things that could prevent you from uh, being as profitable, whether that's uh, regulation change, whether that's your condo board changes their rules, whether that's uh, different taxes that come into effect or different regulations that even don't necessarily shut your, your operation down, but just limit the way that you can operate. So for anyone investing in, in more densely populated urban areas where there, there is a lot more exposure to those sorts of changes, I always recommend finding a property that is going to, as a backup, perform well as a long-term rental. And then um, the other component to it is there's no matter where you're buying. So for me, I bought in Kawartha Lakes because um, it's actually, it's a lot less liable to changes in regulation because even before Airbnb, short-term rentals were always a thing, uh, an established market, established industry in uh, that area because of cottage country. Um, so there's a lot less exposure to changes there. It's again, like I mentioned, it's a really great lifestyle asset for me where I can own it, use it, and also rent it on short-term rental. Um, and the numbers just make a huge, huge amount of sense right now. Um, I bought my property based on 2019 and prior numbers, knowing that 2020 was heavily inflated and 2021 will be the same. Yeah. Um, and it made a ton of sense, even if I was buying it based on the data from uh, the short-term rental data from uh, those prior years. So it's going to pan out to be a really good investment for the next year or two here while things are a lot more locked down and there are a lot more people getting out of the city. Um, but uh, I believe it's going to be a long-term, uh, a really strong investment, even if things do start to, to revert back to sort of more than the norm. It's a really interesting concept, right? Like it sounds as though if you're playing darts, like bullseye is a short-term rental, but knowing you can land on the long-term rental downtown, I think that's an interesting concept. Kind of creates a bit of a support. When you're when you're when you purchase a property in Kortha, is that was that a similar philosophy? Thinking, you know, what what if I need to go long term, or you're just so confident in the short term market there that there's no need? Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily looking at it and saying, okay, I can I can take this back to uh, to long term rental as a backup plan. But for me, um, a good fallback is that um, is that even if things revert back to the norm, it's still going to perform really well because I'm not really worried. I'm not concerned about 
um, about the property uh, not being able to be used as short-term rental because they're already they already have established regulations there. Uh, if taxes were to be levied, then uh, which they already are, but you're not. Um, if tax were to be changed, let's say that there was some change in the regulation around that, um, then again we still have enough margin for error. And that property specifically was also a burr. Um, so it's a property that, again, even if things uh, go belly up with the actual performance of it, we're still we bought it under market value. We're doing some great renovations to add value to the property. So there's a couple of different ways that we're getting return on our investment with that property. So there's just kind of contingencies built into the deal that way. You just you just spilled the beans, man. That's that was the secret. You got it below market value. So so you've actually been able to get some appreciation built in too. I, I think uh, for someone who is more dedicated to the downtown or in the GTA, I'm I'm curious. In Kawartha, my my expectation, and forgive my ignorance, but I would think that the majority of your customers would come during certain seasons. Do you find that that's the case? Do you find like in a normal year in 2019 that it's consistent? And maybe if if not, is it just so much money during those seasonal periods that it it balances out? And I'm I'm curious that dynamic for cottage country and and how it works with short terms. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both. One of the one of the real kind of secrets with short term rental that so few people understand is the the seasonality of it. And I and a lot of investors get blocked up when they think about those seasonal fluctuations and they think about just the the volatility that they associate with that. And there's a couple, there's a couple main things. So the one piece that you mentioned there about it hey, does it perform well enough in the high season that it negates the the down season and it evens out. Um, yes, that is often the case. Um, and so we always look at when we're doing our projections, we always look at the 12 month average operating income rather than looking at individual months, which can really, really skew it. Um, like you can get months that perform two or three times better in the high months than you would in the low months. So there is the element of that. But the other aspect is that there's a lot of things you can do. And this is where I feel a lot of people just miss out massively. Even the people that do have short-term rentals, is there a lot of things you can do to make your, your property perform even in the low season? The way I like to explain it to people is that in the high season, there's just so much demand that the demand is greater than the supply. So even the last the last kid gets picked. Like even the last listing ends up getting picked because there's just no other options. So even if you aren't doing things to optimize your listing properly, even if you don't have great photos for your listing, even if you don't have the the best amenities, the nicest property, like all those things, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to get booked in the high season because there's just so much demand. The challenge is that in the low season, there's still just as much demand almost, but there's way less, uh, or sorry, just as much supply almost but there's way less demand. So it's only those top performers that actually get picked. So to give you an example, like one of the things that we're doing at the property in the Quarthas is we've added a hot tub and a sauna. Um, and that's gonna make it a lot more attractive as a winter getaway. In the summer, not a lot of people wanting to go into the hot tub or the sauna, but in the winter time, it's a great set of amenities to have. And on Airbnb, you can actually filter your search criteria based on properties that have certain amenities like a hot tub. Uh, and so, you're going to drive a lot more traffic to your listing that way. Um, adding different amenities is one really great way to capture it. And then also just doing all the more technical things involved with optimizing your listing. Um, one of the biggest is having really great photos, um, optimizing your pricing strategy. Ultimately, it just, it just comes down to if you have your listing on the top of the Airbnb search results or VRBO search results or whatever platform you're on, you're getting good exposure, then you absolutely can capture a great amount of bookings in the low season and keep your property performing well throughout the low season. Um, 
and not have to rely on that high season to make up for, for bad months in the low season. Uh, it's just that a lot of people lack the understanding and the strategies to be able to actually make that happen. I love that. I love that. So, so you, so a couple of things there, one I'm seeing and, and to anyone else that's watching like Airbnb is a business. I mean, this is what's being run here. Um, and it's really curious to see, I love that approach, right? Like you're fighting for the low seasons that it seems as though if you can shine the low seasons, you don't need to perform as high in the high seasons. And I, and that, that's a, that's a perspective I've never really had. Do you find the seasonality impacts closer to the downtown core, or is that something that's more cottage country? Like, is there, is there peak seasons as well for travel in the GTA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you get, you see it everywhere just to varying extents. Um, and it depends on the type of property that you're buying as well. So a, a one bedroom condo in the financial district in a regular year is going to see some fluctuation, obviously, but um, like it, it is going to do a little bit better in the summertime than it is in the wintertime. But because it's in the financial district, a lot of the people that are traveling there are going to be traveling there for work. Um, and that tends to stay relatively consistent. So you're not going to see the big, huge spikes in the summer because there's not like there's just a, a real price cap on what you can charge on a one bedroom condo, uh, but you're not going to see the bigger downturns um, in the winter time because you still have the consistency of business travel that happens all year round. Whereas if you buy um, or if you start short term renting a, let's say a three bedroom property that's just outside of the of the financial district of the real core of the city, um, then you're again, you're going to see those huge swings because a lot of the time those properties tend to cater more to people traveling in, whether it's with groups of friends or it's families. And so we'll see, we'll regularly see if we're, uh, if we're managing a listing in Toronto that it Carabon a weekend, it'll bring in as much in that weekend as it would in a month, uh, in the month of January, if you have like a three bedroom property that's just kind of outside of the real core. Um, and so events like that in the summertime, you can get you know huge, huge returns on those. Um, and there's that stays pretty consistent throughout the summer where you have all kinds of different reasons that bigger groups are coming into the city and wanting to travel there. And it's all tourism related. Um, but then in the winter time, you don't get as much of that. So you have to be able to kind of shift gears and then optimize that property for those business travelers, or again, just show up and be the, the person that gets the booking for those, that, you know, that odd uh, bit, bit of tourism that is happening in the winter months. So, Okay, so I, I find it interesting because you, your your perspective is that short-term rentals is less risky in some ways, but we also see this volatility. So how do you manage as a business owner, someone who's got properties and managing other people's, how do you manage that volatility in order to get it smooth enough where the thought is, you know what, this is actually less risky. I, I'm curious, I mean, we can get into some of the systems, which I, I want you to be able to cover too, but I'm curious, what does that look like practically? Are we just looking at the difference between an employee and a business, someone that can manage the ups and the downs? And so it takes that type of person, or is there maybe more happening here? Like, are there, are there systems in place that you're using that make it, you don't feel those ups and downs as much? Yeah, honestly, it's, I, I don't look at it as volatility. It's inconsistency, but it's not volatile. Volatile communicates that you, you, it's unexpected, that it's just going and doing whatever the heck and, and, and you have no way of predicting it. it's unpredictable. And that's just not the case. Like I can look at a property and I can run an analysis on it. And there's tools that I use, like for example, AirDNA is a really great tool uh, where you can basically analyze the data of short-term rentals in any given area over the past five, six years. Another really great tool for that is called All the Rooms. Um, and so you can basically take that data and you can look at it and you can run projections for a property. And so yes, a property will perform three times better maybe in the summer months than it would in the winter months, 
but I know that and I know that going into it and I can predict that. So it's not necessarily volatile. It's just that it's inconsistent from one month to the other. And so by being able to predict that, I know how to just manage my cash flow throughout the year. I know what to expect and I know what, what my targets are that I need to hit in each month of the year. Um, and the other thing that really makes it a lot less risky in my mind is that if something, even for example, uh, uh, having everything going on with the pandemic, there's all kinds of options that you've got for that property. And we've seen in all different areas of the world, not just in the Toronto area, but there's all kinds of people that are making the right moves with their properties and actually managing to have it perform as well as it did before the pandemic, or in some cases, way, way better. Um, so for example, you can shift to week-long or month-long rentals. You can always shift that property, like I said, to longer-term rentals. You can, uh, we, had, we had a lot of people, uh, a lot of the students that I coach uh, transition to offering their property for uh, traveling healthcare workers. Um, there's all kinds of different options to get bookings into that property, all kinds of different kind of ways that you can go about it. Um, whereas from, uh, from my vantage point, now I haven't uh, personally invested in any long-term rentals, uh, but I have a lot, a big network, obviously, of real estate investors. So I have, a, I think, a, a good amount of exposure to it. And if that tenant stops paying rent, you know, I kind of equate that to if the Airbnb bookings stop flowing in, then what do you do? Well, if the tenant stops paying rent, then you can go and you can try to make that tenant start paying rent again, or you can go through a multi-month long eviction process to try to get them out of there once things open back up and you're allowed to do that. And that, that just kind of gets you stuck. And then there's also no way to make up for that because by the time you get a new tenant in there, it's not like you're now commanding two or three times the amount of rent. Whereas with short-term rentals, you've got a variety of different options and there's ample opportunity to make up for any, any short-term downturns because you can do things to just maximize the property's performance later on. You can, uh, you can keep it up in the, uh, in the higher performing months. You can optimize your, optimize your listing further to, again, just make up for any short-term losses that you may have encountered. James, look at you go, man. I love it. I, I see it. I see it now. Okay. So we know there's been a, a eviction freeze. In fact, we're while we're recording this, we're in another eviction freeze. But there's also been, for anyone who's been following, I mean, there's been uh, halts that have been put on the Airbnb industry too. You, you kind of covered a little bit there, but explain to me what, what is the current procedure for Airbnbs? Like my understanding outside of Toronto, which there's there's been limits, we'll get to that separately. I think that's a whole other topic. But in the province of Ontario right now, is it not require it has to be like essential housing or something in order for you to have an airbnb like is that when you're talking about I, I know you mentioned you have healthcare workers but is that what every person is doing do you find there's a bit of a gray area that's happening in the airbnb like how are people squirming because yeah there's an eviction freeze affecting long-term rentals but there's absolutely there's supposed to be a, an impact happening to short-term rentals too i'm curious how that's playing out yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things like uh, there obviously is sort of a gray area that some people are playing in. And that's not what I recommend. Obviously I recommend you follow the rules, play by the rules. Um, but the, there's a couple of different options. So you can, again, minimize the, the downside of it by having things like those essential travelers, like healthcare workers, what have you um, staying in your property. The other really nice thing is that we don't really have to anyone that's kind of still in short-term rentals right now. And has kind of gone through these fluctuations generally is not too concerned. Um, the, the, again, the people that have the stomach for it, again, it's just about understanding what's going on. And then you can, once you understand, you can feel a lot more comfortable with it. But what we're seeing is that when there's a freeze, people aren't traveling, people aren't moving. And then when that freeze opens up, people travel in hordes and masses. <laughs> so you're getting like, yeah, you, you are seeing, it's just a different distribution of the income is the way that it's actually ended up, ended up shaking out. 
Um, and initially, when all this craziness happened, there was a lot of there was a lot of fear in the market where people were going, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I can, how long this is going to go. I don't know if people are going to feel comfortable traveling again. And what we've seen is that, yes, people want to travel again, and they actually want to travel uh, locally, hyper-locally. Typically, they want to go within a couple hours of their place so that they can drive there. Um, they feel more of a desire to travel to those places because they want more space. They want more space to kind of spread out, have more room for their family where everyone's working from home, kids are taking school are in school from home. Um, and they would prefer to travel to a short-term rental where they're, they're on their own, they're safe in their little bubble, as opposed to traveling to a hotel. So what does that mean for us? It means that, yeah, it might be closed down if you're not housing uh, essential, essential travelers in the, in the time being right now, then your property is closed down, not making money, but all that money it would have made is going to come to you once things open back up, because we're seeing that the rates are going double and triple what they normally would be. Um, and again, it, it, it requires you to be aware of that and to plan ahead for that because if you got if you get caught with your prices too low then your property is going to get booked up and you're not necessarily going to make up for that downturn um, which again isn't the the end of the world but if you know what you're doing then you can have your prices set at the right amount so that you actually make up for all those potential losses from previous and my understanding there's actually systems that some airbnb guys use to help with that price adjustment i'm curious what systems it is you're using right now to to help you with that so the computer does it <laughs> yeah yeah so there's there's a couple of different ways you can go about it there are automated pricing tools um like for example beyond pricing is one of them wheelhouse is another uh, is another one that's quite good um and they tend to do quite well when they you have to understand that those those uh, softwares, those systems, they rely on data. So when we're in more unprecedented times like this, it's helpful to understand what's happening in the market and just kind of have your finger on the pulse, understand, look at what other people are pricing at, look at what, um, what things are shaping up to look like um, so that you can make those judgment calls yourself. So I tend to lean more towards pricing manually for anything that's outside of the, the normal so right now, that's what I prefer to do. That's my preferred strategy. Um, in times like, for example, Carabana Weekend, um, where it's just absolutely bonkers, the number of people that come into the city, I tend to do manual pricing and just override those softwares. But for your typical run of the mill, it's 2019, it's January through, through March, just set it and forget it with, with, a pro with a software like Wheelhouse or Beyond Pricing. Okay, cool. Let, let's get into the city of Toronto a little bit because it's been a, it's been a bit of a beast. In fact, there's a lot of criticism on short-term rentals that is affecting long-term rentals, which is I think has been the reason people have geared towards you know what let's do everything to make it harder on the short-term rental landlord to switch it to long-term. And so, for example, I mean, right now you've got people are not allowed to Airbnb a condo. I mean, it needs to be unless it's a primary residence. I mean, there's very most Airbnbs that we saw a few months ago. If they still exist, they really shouldn't. Um, and I know there's other cities around in the GTA that are also doing similar things. These rules where it has to be your primary residence or second dwelling, certain number of months. How has that changed things? I mean, you mentioned you have clients that you're helping that are in the city that have even within a couple of years before have switched to Airbnb. Like, what are they doing to pivot in, in this time? Yeah, so the the regulations that the, that the city has passed have made it um, a little bit comical the way that it's actually kind of shaped up for uh, for some uh, landlords because the challenge is that the the way that they uh, the way that they structure the regulations make it so that if you had a if you had for example um, a legal second unit in your home 
that is a, a totally different dwelling. And so you cannot have that property on Airbnb. It has to be part of your primary residence. Oh. But if you have an illegal second, an illegal second unit, then it's all good because that's actually <laughs> technically part of your, uh, your primary residence. So you can go and rent out an Airbnb all day long. Um, so it's actually, <clears throat> it's unfortunately, it's actually favored the people that set up illegal units and the people that made the investment to go and get the permits and set up a proper legal second suite. They're kind of left high and dry. Um, but again, those people can shift over to, to long-term rental and that's what a lot of them have done. Um, condos were never really a big, uh, a big play for Airbnb to begin with because even before any regulations from the city passed, most condos, there's only two or three condo buildings in Toronto that actually allowed Airbnb. Um, and there were, uh, there were owners that tried to get around those regulations uh, from the condo boards and the HOAs, but it's just a challenging uphill battle. Like I never worked in, and managed any properties that fell under that category because then, you know, as soon as a guest goes to the concierge, you've got an issue and that's going to happen because like guests are going to go to the concierge. It's just going to happen within a couple of weeks. So um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a shift around it with the, with the new regulation. Some people, uh, you know, who have the right setup are able to just kind of slide by and keep going. Um, and then some people have shifted over to long-term rental. Yeah. And, and then we've got this accommodations tax, the municipal accommodations tax in Toronto of 4% and people have to register. It sounds like the city is really well connected with Airbnb. They're, they're kind of, they've got them by the throat a little bit and saying, you have to follow these rules in order to operate in the city. <clears throat> Do you see people pay, just paying the tax or have you seen that as a, a reason for people to say, okay, screw short-term rentals in these areas. We're going to just hold it long-term or, or sell. Yeah, honestly, taxes and regulations that, um, that make it safer and, and more legitimate for people to have properties on Airbnb always end up improving the market has been my experience. So that stuff I, I welcome. I think it's fantastic. I think that there should be regulations around short-term rentals. Um, and a lot of the challenge with uh, with short-term rentals is that because there was a, a financial incentive to do so, a lot of um, less scrupulous landlords were setting up quite unsafe properties. Um, like one example that comes to mind is a landlord in Toronto that had um, had subdivided up this this property basically to use it as a short-term rental, had it on Airbnb, and had something like 20-some-odd people that it could house. And it was a total fire hazard. Like there was just, it was completely unsafe for them to be operating the property the way that they were. And so having regulations that, um, that make it challenging or impossible for a landlord to do that is fantastic. Having a, a tax imposed so the city can actually benefit from short-term rentals as well, and they can actually have a budget to enforce different regulations like that, that actually make it safer and more legitimate for everyone involved, that's actually fantastic. And then what we've seen on the return side of things is that when a tax gets added, the prices just go up. We just increase our prices, guests pay the extra tax. It nets out to pretty much the exact same as what it was before, but now suddenly we have less competition and we don't have to compete it's, it's, it's removing a layer of competition from these people that were running incorrectly. And those ones are always people with the, the rock bottom low prices. So you're taking out that bottom layer of competition. So the whole, the whole ship starts to actually rise. So it's actually a net benefit for everyone involved. And I highly um, endorse any kind of regulation like that. I hear you, man. I hear the logic. Just be careful because they might be knocking in Kawartha Lake uh, pretty soon on you. <laughs> but no, I get, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, clean it up clean up the clean up the mess there's a real mess that's formed and i think that's where a lot of the anger has come from right that's that's really what's caused yeah. it so 
So let, let's take it a step further here uh, because I've had, I've seen people that make a living discussing this idea of renting a place from a landlord perfectly allowed as long as you tell the landlord and then renting it on Airbnb or other short-term platforms. Is that something you would recommend or is that, is it a little bit too much dancing? Is it maybe too risky? Is it, is it, would you still categorize that as a low risk type of investment? I, I would categorize that as about as high risk of, I wouldn't call it an investment, but it's about as high risk as you can get if you're, if you're classifying it as an investment. The, the challenge with that is that when you're buying a property, you actually have equity in, in an appreciating asset and you have control over that. You can do things to further increase the value of the asset. Um, when you rent a property, that rent is, is vanishing. It's not building any equity for you. So when you, when you look at the prospect of you doing, it's called a rental arbitrage is the way most people refer to that, where you rent a property under a master lease agreement, where you have the, the ability to sublease it on Airbnb, and then you go and furnish it up. So you're paying first and last month's rent, you're paying a security deposit, typically a higher one because landlords want to know that the property is secure um, with different people going in and out of it. And then you're paying um, whatever it might be, $5,000, $10,000 to furnish that property um, and then put it up on Airbnb. And... 95% of the time you're going to like the, the business model that I operate under when managing property is a percentage management fee. So we take a percentage cut of the overall revenue. So it's a win-win for us and the property owner, the better the property does, the better we do. And the better the property does, the better the owner does. 95% um, of the time, when you look at the, at the actual numbers on a property, you're going to earn as much money managing under a management fee model like that um, as you would under rental arbitrage. The difference is that when you do it under management fee model, you don't have to uh, pay first and last month's rent um, to grow your business. And you don't have to uh, invest a whole bunch of money into furniture that you don't have a place for. You don't own somewhere to put it. So um, yeah, from a, from a just business perspective, uh, I find it to be a way better business model to use the management fee model. But then from a risk profile, it's crazy. That's actually, we, we started out doing that early on um, we did a mixture of management fee and rental arbitrage. And then um, I got to a point where we just kind of looked at and went, okay, they're, Toronto's talking about regulation. So let's, let's kind of model out what happens if we keep taking our profit that we're earning every month and rolling it over into rent and furniture. And we keep building the, the business, not taking cash out of it for ourselves and just rolling our profits over into rent. Now, each month that we grow, that we're reinvesting into our business, we have a higher earning potential, but that's not actually more money in the bank. It's not more equity built up. It's just the higher earning potential because we've got these additional properties. Then what happens if, if Toronto comes away and take, comes over and takes away that earning potential by enforcing a regulation like the one that they have? Well, now suddenly we're left holding the bag where we've got a bunch of properties that we're paying rent on. So that's going to quickly just drain out our money. We've got basically what? 120 days to try to try to salvage it and make some money before we have to shut them down. And then beyond that, we've got a bunch of furniture that's worth maybe what 30 to 50% of what we paid for it now because it's used furniture. So from a risk profile, we just looked at that and went, yep, going to stop doing that altogether. That doesn't make any sense. If you're doing it with one property that you find, like I call them unicorn properties where you can rent it and you can easily bring in three to four times what you're paying in rent each month and you don't plan on reinvesting the profit, you just want to do it with one property, there's pretty stable regulation and you just want to have it generate some cash flow. Sure, I can understand that it can be good, uh, but the reality is that those are very, very hard to come by properties that actually uh, perform that way and have rental values that are, that are 
that low relative to the amount that you can earn on short-term rental. Um, so for most cases, I just say steer completely clear of that model. Cool. Okay. Last question for you. Is this something you think someone can do part-time or is this, there's a lot of work that goes into it from what I'm hearing. I'm curious, would you encourage someone to do this part-time or do you think this is a, this is a full-time gig? Um, and, and how would you set that up for them if they did go part-time? Yeah. So it can, it can be as hands-on or hands-off as you want to be. That's one of the really nice things. So um, for me, I enjoy managing the property um, and I have a lot of experience with it. I have a lot of systems built up that make it relatively easy for me to do. Um, so for that reason, I self-manage, like for example, the property I got in the Quartha, we're, we're going to be self-managing it. Um, and that's great, but you don't have to go that route. Most investors in short-term rentals will just hire out a management company and you can still get fantastic return numbers hiring out a management company where then you just sit back and relax and they take care of everything. Um, they can even, uh, depending on the management company that you find, they'll even take care of uh, like furnishing the property, staging it. Obviously, you'll be the one financing that, but they'll take care of actually setting it up with the amenities, the furnishing, the decoration that it needs to perform well. They'll take care of getting the actual listing set up, all the photography, and then all the ongoing management from like um, scheduling the cleaners, managing the pricing, uh, communicating with guests, all that can be completely hands off. And you pay a percentage, uh, typically is the way it'll be structured. So you'll pay a percentage uh, management fee to that company. They'll take care of everything. And you just get a check in your, in your mailbox every month, the way that you would with a long-term rental, um, just all things going, uh, going to plan. That check is going to be for a greater amount. And, and what are those fees? I, I, in my head, I think I know, but I'm curious, what are, what are people charging these days for managing Airbnb units? It ranges depending on the area that you're in. Typically, if you're in, um, like standard is 20%. I've seen some markets that go as high as 50. Um, those are very rare. Like mo mostly that's kind of very niche secluded areas in the US. Um, in Canada and in the Toronto area, you're looking generally between 20 and maybe 25% if you're getting into, into cottage country. Beautiful. James, this has been a good chat, man. You taught me a whole bunch about Airbnb. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed it. And guys, I encourage you, please hit the like button if you did. James, if our guys have any questions for you, I mean, we'll have some people, I'm sure leave them in the comments below, but where can people find you and what kind of cool things can they get involved in with, with you and your business? Yeah. So uh, probably the easiest place to find me is just on Instagram uh, and handle is James Svetek. My last name is a little bit challenging to spell, but it's S V E T E C um, or they can go to bnbmastery.com. Um, one of the cool things we're launching is that uh, my business partner, Riley and I, um, Riley's got a lot more investing experience than I do. He's kind of helping me along with this process. And we're actually going to be launching a, a really small, tight-knit, um, intimate group coaching program, uh, working with a few investors uh, to help them get started investing in short-term rentals. So if there are any listeners who are interested in investing in short-term rentals, that's something that we're going to be starting up here pretty soon. Um, so reach out, send me a message and love to chat. Beautiful. Appreciate it, man. James, thanks for taking the time to join us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.